Today's uh, topic is somewhat challenging, so I'm going to begin with a heartwarming thing to kind of set you at ease. So, how many of you saw this story? The story about the four-year-old who used Siri? Okay, all right, then I'm going to tell you something heartwarming. So, this uh, little boy in the middle there is a guy named Bo Aston, and his mother is pregnant, and she was taking a drug that, uh, unbeknownst to her doctor, made her very ill. She actually collapsed one day and went into some kind of st- unconscious state, and Bo uh, was was unnerved by this situation, as a four-year-old boy might be, and uh, he did what any four-year-old boy would do. He used Siri to call the 911. In, in, in England, it's actually 999. But he he didn't know how to dial numbers because that's so old school. But um, he knew how to use Siri because he'd seen an advertisement. And so he called Siri and he talked to Ashley Page there, uh, who was the operator at the... Uh, um, ambulance dispatch service and uh, Ashley talked to him and understood the situation and, and figured out what needed to be done and got the ambulance there on scene and just was uh, uh, got, got better as a result of that and um, they, there they all they were reunited when the, the ambulance service gave Bo an award and um, so it's a happy ending for uh, Bo and his mom and, and for Ashley there so so that's the heartwarming story I want to tell you about. The reason I wanted to start with that heartwarming story is because we're going to talk about a difficult topic today. We're going to talk about revolution. And um, uh, maybe you didn't come to church today thinking about revolution, but um, but this is Advent, and so that's what you get to do. So um, I saw this this story, you know, uh, in the in the news also along with the uh, one about Bo. Uh, this is a, a opinion piece, but it says Mary's Magnificat in the Bible is revolutionary, and some evangelicals silence her. Now, uh, it's an opinion piece, and I don't know which evangelicals she's got in mind, so whatever. But um, but what does she mean by Magnificat? So what is the Magnificat? Well, the Magnificat is the passage of Scripture we just heard. Um, it comes from uh, the, it's also called the Canticle of Mary or the Song of Mary, as I mentioned to the children. Um, it comes from Latin. There was a long period of time when Latin was the, was the language people heard the Bible in. For over a thousand years, that was the only language people in Western Europe ever heard the, the Bible in. So I can't read Latin, but I can see the word magnificent in there. So um, that's the way the, the passage begins in Latin. Maria said this, um, magnificat something rather. So in the King James Bible, they kept that as close to the original language as they could. So uh, And Mary said, I, not the original language, the original language, who knows what that was, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, and then um, Latin came in later. So anyway, uh, when they translated it, uh, the King James people, they said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And uh, our translation kind of smooths that out, tries to get at the actual intent of what Mary was saying, because we don't know how do you magnify things. So, um, so uh, uh, our translation says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So that's what the Magnificat is. It's the passage we're going to talk about today. But what, what is this business about silencing? Um, because the way I look at it, if they're silencing uh, the Magnificat, they're doing a really terrible job about it. So I looked just in hymnals. I looked on a site called hymnary.org. There's 531 entries there. Um, so that's a couple of hundred different songs scattered across dozens of hymnals. It is a widely uh, uh, cited text. 
list that people use when they're writing hymns. Um, so I looked, uh, but, but you know, those are hymns. Those are not necessarily the, so- the songs that evangelicals would sing. So I looked at CCLI. That's the copyright database used for a lot of um, churches that don't have hymnals like our hymnals. So um, uh, in it, there were 34 different contemporary worship songs that referenced the Magnificat. So, um, so I don't know about the silencing, but maybe what they're doing, maybe what those songs are doing is they're skipping over the revolutionary part, right? Maybe that's what they're doing. And so um, just to look at an example, we have a, a song here from the, it's not actually in our blue Presbyterian hymnal. Um, if we had bought the more recent purple Presbyterian hymnal uh, called Glory to God, it would be in there. Um, that's where we get the words. So it's called Canticle of the Turning. We're going to sing it later in our service today. And since I've been here, we've sung it ten times in worship, so almost twice a year, um, and just by itself, just as a song. And then, of course, we've heard it during Advent and things like that. So, so we do, we are exposed to it. But let's take a look at its lyrics. So, um, you, we'll be singing them shortly. But, but read this: My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fire of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. That sounds pretty revolutionary to me. You know, I don't know if we're silencing the words of Mary. I think we're doing a really loud, lousy job of it, but, but that's just one song. Let's look at another one. This song is called Mary's Song. It talks about God turning everything upside down and the servant wearing the crown. Or this song, Sing Me Now of High Revolt. That's a tip-off your song is about revolution when they use the word revolt in the middle of it. So, sing me now of high revolt. Make great the name of the Lord. Uh, make great the Lord, his name exalt. Sing me the song that Mary sang of God at war with, with human wrong. One more. A single liberating word those born in darkness now can see as human power considers that. Let Mary sing Magnificat. So, my guess is that the songs have always been uh, faithful to the text, and they have always stressed the revolutionary nature of what Mary is saying. And this particular writer, kind of one day, you know, you, you're, you're reading uh, the Bible or you're listening to music in church, and s- suddenly, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you go, oh. So, and so I think that that writer just finally realized what was actually going on in the text. So so this is a very revolutionary passage, and maybe that, that uh, contradicts our image of Mary, meek and mild. You know, there she is. You know, uh, in, in the, in the picture, she's always got her hands folded. She's praying. You know, there's the, the, we probably, up. Oh, Jesus isn't there yet, but, but when, when he arrives, um, Mary's there. She's already got her hands folded. So, Mary, meek and mild. Uh, do we think of Mary as a revolutionary? But that's what this text says. We are wrapping up a series of, of messages for Advent. So, Advent is the season we're in. Uh, it concludes today mercifully, and then tomorrow begins the season of Christmas tide. And um, so, Advent is the season of expectant waiting. We've been waiting for a long time. We've actually been waiting for two thousand years because what we're waiting for is not Christmas. That'll arrive. That that arrives every year. But what we're waiting for hasn't yet arrived. We're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus. He promised he would be back right back, and it's been two thousand years. He hasn't been back yet, but. But he, he is faithful to keep his words. The reason that we look back to Christmas is to remember that God is faithful. God does keep his promises. Now, in the scriptures we saw, uh, people were afraid of the day of the Lord. They were afraid the day that the Lord would return. But we aren't afraid. Jesus said, when we see these things start to happen, we can stand up. We can look up and raise our heads because our salvation has come near. 
And then we talked about John the Baptist, how John the Baptist said that really is available to everyone. There's nobody who's disqualified from God's salvation, that whatever your level is, God can level you up. And then, and then the reason God can do that, John said, is because is because God, uh, the baptism that Jesus would bring is greater than the baptism he had. John could get you into heaven. John could cause your sins to be forgiven. He, or I should say, John gave you a sacrament, uh, the sacrament of baptism that's, that acknowledged that your sins were forgiven and you could get into heaven. But he couldn't change who you were. But the baptism that Jesus brings is a transforming baptism. Jesus can actually change who you are on the inside. As the, as the prophet said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. So that's where we've come from. And today we're going to look at Mary, Mary the revolutionary, Mary meek and mild, Mary the revolutionary. So, um, the text tells us, um, that a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea. A few days after what? Well, this is halfway through chapter one, so we have to kind of zoom backwards to figure out what she's talking about, what he's talking about. A few days later, what, what was a, a few days after what? Well, we go back to the beginning and we see there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was married to a woman named, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, they didn't have a child. But one day when Zechariah was in the sanctuary, um, an angel appeared to him and said, you are going to have a child. And his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. And she was very happy about this. She said, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children, which in that culture certainly would have been a disgrace. And then um, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth. And he speaks to Mary and tells her she's going to have a child too. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So that's kind of the backstory to this. And then Luke says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country. She's heard about her her elderly ancestor, Elizabeth, who everybody has ridden off and couldn't possibly have children at this point. Um, they don't have phones. They can't just reach out and touch each other when they've got good news. So she actually makes the trip on foot to get to the hill country of Judea and find out more about this wonderful thing that God has done. And so she goes there and she enters the house and greets Elizabeth. And when she greets Elizabeth, at the sound of her greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby actually um, apparently was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but one of the things the angel said is that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit and he would help point out Jesus. So he helps his mom point out Jesus from within the womb. He says, hey, pay attention. Somebody important just walked in. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she's able to interpret it. So she gives a glad cry and exclaims, God has blessed you, the mother of my Lord. And then she says, the reason you're blessed is because you believe that the Lord would do what you said. And that's where the Magnificat starts. Mary responds. She says, oh, how my Lord praises, my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she says that. And then she goes on to explain how he says, he, she says, for he, the Lord, took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Notice who she's talking about there. She's talking about herself. God has blessed her. But then, but, uh, she says, the mighty one is holy and he's done great things for me. This is, this is what she's experienced. This is her own lived experience. God has blessed her. But, 
But after that, she expands her focus. She says, you know what? What God has done to me is really just part and parcel. This is who God is. God characteristically blesses people. He says, she says, he, God, shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. She says, I'm just the latest in a long series of people that God has blessed. This is who God is, and this is what God does. This is what God does for everyone. And then she does the little revolutionary part. She says, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. What, what kind of tremendous things are those, Mary? What, what things? He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he sent the rich away with empty hands. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So this is the revolution, the revolution that takes the rich down from their throne, princes from their thrones, uh, scatters the rich, scatters the proud. Anyway, so that part there, um, his mighty arm, he scattered the proud and haughty ones. He brought down princes and exalted the hungry, uh, the humble, filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. This is the revolutionary part. So, uh, how is it a revolution? Specifically, who is doing the revolting in this passage? Is this a call to arms? Is this Mary telling you to go man the barricades? Is this, is this Mary telling us, you know, raise the red banner because we're going to go take on the man? No. She says, this has already happened. She says, God, by His mighty arm, He has scattered. He has brought down and exalted. He has filled and sent away. His mighty arm has done amazing things, tremendous things. And a lot of, a lot of scholars have wondered what, what's going on there because she switches to the past tense. She starts talking about the things that, that God has done as something that's already accomplished. This is not a revolution that will happen at some point in the future. This is a revolution that has already taken place by virtue of God having announced it. That, that it is as good as done because God has announced it. Mary uses the past tense. But what type of revolution is that? She says, it's a revolution that God took notice of his lowly servant girl. She's at the very bottom rung of society. She's a woman, she's a young person, and they did not cater to young people in that era. And she's off in some dusty corner of the empire. She is the last person God should remember, but God took notice of his lowly servant girl. He shows mercy. He remembers to be merciful. He exalts the hungry. He fills the... He exalts the humble. He exalts... I'm going to get this right. He exalted the humble, and he fills the hungry with good things. So this is what Mary says about God. Mary says that God is a God who has turned the world upside down, that everything that we thought we understood about the world is backwards from what God has revealed it to be in Jesus. So the question for us is, is it true? Is that true? Mary's using the past tense, so we can ask that question. Is this true? Well, I think it is. Uh, some of you were here in May, and I showed you this graph. I have to show you this graph as often as I can come up with an excuse. This is the most important graph in the world. Um, and I know the words are too small there, but this is a graph of the number of people in the world. That's the green bar, or the green section. And the red section is the number of people who are living in extreme poverty. The World Bank uses this magic word, extreme poverty. It says, if you're making less than $1.90 a day, then you are extremely poor. If you're making $2 a day, you are in poverty. 
but you're not extremely poverty. And I don't know how they came up with that metric, but this is an important metric that the World Bank has been tracking for a long time. So this graph shows you what's happened to poverty, and now I can't read the words either. So how far back does this go? So this goes back to 1820. Okay, and the, the, the important thing is you can see for most of the past 200 years, there's been a lot more people who are extremely poor than who were not extremely poor. But about 1950, something changed. Something changed, and suddenly there started to be more people who were not in extreme poverty than there were. This graph tells us, if we look at this, there's 7 billion people in the world, there's less than um, a billion, uh, less than 2 billion people, less than 1 billion people who are in extreme poverty, and the reason that that's happened is that Every day for the last 25 years, 137,000 people have escaped extreme poverty. That happened yesterday, and it happened Friday, and it happened Thursday. There's a lot of people have been lifted out of extreme poverty. But it's not just this. 137,000 people per day. But that's not the only way things are getting better. This is the share of the population that is undernourished, and I know it's still too small to see, but you see the trend is down. Everything is going down. The reason for that is because fewer people are hungry than there used to be. This this graph here goes from 1990 to 2015, another 25-year graph. And in 25 years, if you look at that graph, it says that um, the number of people in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, uh, who are in who are undernourished, went from over 30% to under 20% in just 25 years. So, literally. The hungry are being filled with good things. And uh, this is happening in any number of areas. We could look at a whole bunch. This is homelessness. I was at the homeless shelter yesterday, and when I look at the homeless problem in, in Anchorage, I think it's a, it's a terrible problem, and it is. But it's getting better. It's getting better so subtly that maybe we don't perceive it with our own eyes. But over 25 years, the number of people who are homeless has actually been reduced in our country. We can go on and on. Motor vehicle injuries. This is motor vehicles injuries in the United States. In 25 years, they've gone from almost 15 to barely 10. And in the world, we see the same trend. Obviously, there's a lot more uh, in the world. The average for the world is a lot higher. But in the United States, it's, um, it's going down, and it is for the world as a whole. GDP is climbing. This is a 25-year 20, 20, um, view of GDP in the United States, it's been growing, okay? But it's not just the United States. The world is getting richer, too. In fact, the world is getting richer faster than the United States is getting rich. And this is not a new thing. It's not just those magic 25 years. This, is, this goes back to 1950, the same, the same shape of the curve. The world is getting richer, and the United States is getting richer. God is doing something right under our noses. He is making the poor better. And he's making the rich stand out less. Mary says, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. God is doing a great thing. He has exalted the humble and he has filled the hungry with good things. Now, I could go on and show you graphs. I I love these graphs. But instead, I'm going to encourage you to take a look at gapminder.org, ourworldanddata.org, or humanprogress.org. There's just the most amazing things there because the fact is, regardless what the news tells you, regardless what you may think from your own perceptions, the data show us that in every way you can imagine, the world is actually getting better. The world is getting better. So what is our role? What is our role? Our role is to be like Mary. What did Mary do? Mary did two things. 
And the best way I can illustrate what Mary did is to talk about somebody who's not Mary. Some of you may have heard of Norman Borlaug. He's an Iowa boy. He grew up um, in Iowa, learned all about farming and farming stuff. Um, and he is one of the pioneers of the Green Revolution. Um, here's what he did in three years in India and Pakistan from 1968, 69, and 70. He took the uh, his technology, the technology he invented, increased grain yields in those countries from from barely 12 uh, million tons of wheat to uh, almost 20, and in Pakistan from under 4 to um, over 6. So he almost doubled grain yields in three-year period. Norman Borlaug was one of the pioneers of the Green Revolution, and he received a, a Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts, and um, he is credited with saving a billion lives. There's not too many people who can say that. But... Norman Borlaug has passed on. He's died, but the work continues because the Green Revolution is highly dependent on returning nitrogen to the soil. Uh, that if you're farming all that food, uh, all that food out of the ground, you're going to have to return the nitrogen to the soil somehow. The way we do that today is very energy expensive. In fact, people estimate 3% of the energy consumed in the world is used just to bring nitrogen out of the air and put it back in um, the chemicals we use, so, uh, particularly uh, to refertilize the soil. But scientists are at work on that. There's a nanotechnology of some kind. I don't know nanomembranes. I don't know anything about this. But they're looking for ways to do that the way earthworms do, the way bacteria do, to bring it out in a way that doesn't have such a huge carbon footprint, that doesn't produce, uh, doesn't consume so much energy. This is what engineers do. They continue the work of making the world a richer and better place. And it goes on and on. Uh, Rwanda is experimenting with using drones to increase medical supplies, to, to increase medical supply availability in remote areas. You know, drones, you know, they, they don't just block up traffic in Heathrow. We've all heard about Elon Musk and his tunnels. So is this just change for change's sake? Is this just kind of churn? Are we just kind of going through these technologies, you know, the way we go through cell phones, just because we can? Well, speaking of cell phones, you know, somebody at Apple came up with the idea. They had this smartphone, and they said, hey, we can use this really to get around Google by coming up with Siri, right? And they said, how about if we just had voice recognition? Then a four-year-old could use it to call 911. And so they invented it. So if you were to ask Bo Aston or his mom, is this just change for change's sake? Is this just churn? And I think they'd say no. These are the ways that God is making the world a better place. And there's 137,000 more people who would probably also say that it's not just change for change's sake. The world is getting better. And I would just say, if you think otherwise, if you think this is just change for change's sake, Mary has words for you too. So, how do we, how do we, how do we participate in this revolution? Well, we do good. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, just do good. The world is getting better. And by doing good, you participate in this amazing thing that is going on in the world. But if you are a follower of Christ, this is what we call vocation. To do whatever you're called to do. Mary was called to bear a baby and to endure all the shame that came from unwed motherhood in that, in that era. She did what she could do. Norman Borlaug did what he could do. People today do what they can do. The, the, what's his name? Uh, Ashley Page, he answered the phone when a little boy called to talk about his mom. 
Do your job. Do it well. The scripture tells us to work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Christians believe in the sanctity of work because we realize that God is using us, God is incorporating us into the revolution that is making the world a better place. We act today like the kingdom has already come. So when it does, we won't be surprised. The other thing Mary does is this. Mary sings. Mary sings in joy at the response of what God has done, in response to what God has done. So let's sing a little bit. You heard earlier, 30 dozen cookies? A bunch of you brought cookies that we gave just as our way of singing, singing our joy of what God is doing at the food bank. And so whatever it was, 150 in a typical week, whatever it was this weekend, 150 people just saw people of faith singing in joy because God is making the world a better place. There's Patty, and I'm sorry I got your eyes closed. So I'll move on very quickly. We went, to, we went to the, uh, we went to the homeless shelter straight from there. That's why I didn't have time to get a good picture of Patty. So there they are. They're, um, wrapping presents, um, Margot throwing gro- gang signs. <laughs> that room was stuffed with presents and tonight that building will be stuffed with probably what, 300 people? Close to 300? And then again tomorrow night. Because, like I said, homelessness may not be, uh, may not be getting worse, but it certainly is bad enough where it is today. So we sing, we sing, we do the things we do, not because we can say that cookies to the, to the people at the food bank will make the world a better place. They may. But what they are is they're our response of joy for the big thing that God is doing, making us a richer and wealthier world. We do the same thing with Thanksgiving blessing, with Christmas families you heard about, with our Northwood cleanup, with our benevolence, and all these other ways. These are things we do, not necessarily because they solve the problem, because we're working. Our everyday lives are the way we solve those problems, or the way that God solves the problem through us. We do these things as a way of singing our joy, because we live in a world where God is turning things upside down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for for the revolution that you are carrying out under our noses. It is a quiet revolution. It is truly the seed that grows in the darkness. And we don't understand how. But by every metric, the world is getting richer. Uh, more people are being educated. More people are well-fed. More people are living in democratic regimes. So Lord, help us to do our jobs as part of your revolution to make the world a better place. And Lord, help us as we see those things to sing with joy. We pray it all in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.